0: I'm Christina Gerakides, Co-CEO of Singularity U Australia and committed to making the seemingly impossible possible. Singularity U Australia stands at the intersection of the values of humanity with the value of technology. Inspire for 5 is a place where we have conversations with inspirational entrepreneurs, community leaders and representatives of organisations who are boldly creating a future by design. The good, the bad, the warts and the inspiration. We are leading the way to be the change we want to see in the world. Conversations that bring to light the magic that is happening on a daily basis all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of Inspire for Five. And this week we are welcoming the wonderful Paul Smith, who is the founder of future directors institute paul welcome to the podcast
1: it's an absolute pleasure to be here christina thank you so much for having me
0: our pleasure and because we love a good backstory and i know that you have one in fact that may be how we select all our people for (laughs) being Spy for five no that's not true um but tell us the backstory why this project why was it so important to you
1: it's a it's a really good question. I, I It's it's a combination of things. One was my own journey as a young board director. I started my board career as a non-executive director in my early 30s. Um, before that was my exposure to boards, reporting to boards in my late 20s through my 30s, but also at a more holistic level, my own philosophy around business and organisations and their role within society. And so all these things came together where I wanted to see initially more intergenerational diversity in the boardroom, different perspectives, uh, innovative, collaborative mindsets. And it's sort of evolved from there. So originally we were all about getting younger people onto boards. And now whilst we still focus heavily on that, it's really about the mindsets and that cognitive diversity in the boardroom and, and the different voices, but also the culture within the boardroom of how you can make sure you can hear all those voices and they're really well informed.
0: I love that. And mindset and culture are absolutely paramount to a successful organization. So you definitely need those um, on on the board. So thank you for sharing that. Um, So we're going to go through the five P's today. So the first P um, on the list of the journey to Future Directors Institute is personnel. So who is in the room? Um, And also uh, in conversation, you mentioned who's not in the room. So can you expand on that for us?
1: Yeah, like um, when we were asking me to put together my five things, like I, uh, I love models and stuff like that. We, we use in our um, uh, programs to help aspiring directors a five C's model. So I thought, right, five P, let's go for it. I started writing things down and suddenly it became P's. So it's all five P's. Yeah. So what I mean by who's in the room and the personal side of things is boards are all about people. Um, you know, there's two really simple rules. Every board is the same and by extension, every board is different. And what I mean by that is that it's just a group of human beings and therefore that's the thing that keeps them the same, but by extension, because we're all unique, we have our unique biases, perspectives, experiences, knowledge um, and influence, we're all completely unique. And the role of a board, uh, the role of governance in general, if it can be distilled down to a simple sentence is to make decisions about the future whatever that happens to be. And so those people in the room and who's in the room are there making decisions that it could impact millions, billions of dollars, thousands, hundreds of thousands of people's lives. And so what you're looking for is the personnel in the room that have the capability, the courage, I think the consciousness to do that in the most highly informed and effective way. And we've always focused on, who's in the room but i think more and more so with everything that's going on the transparency that's coming we're discovering who's not in the room you know that those different voices the the ones who can disrupt the group think and the homogenous backgrounds of a lot of the people who end up in boards whether they're big corporate boards or you know small non-profits or community groups
0: I think I, I love very much that you mentioned um, courage and consciousness. And let me add another C to that since we're, we're on the on the letters. Um, I think that what you're talking about, too, is the convergence of minds. So it's that convergence of diversity, really, um, that has set us off. And, and I, I hear you speak and and um, I'm very much aligned with everything that you just said about, about culture, about um, the people that are in the room and how they all need to work together. But it's also the different perspectives that come together, so very crucial, very important. Um, the, second, the second P I guess that we have is purpose. So what is the role of the board? Um, how does that get defined and, and do different boards act differently? Do they have to apply to the same charter? How do you operate in, in that regard?
1: Again, a really good question. Um, there are so many different types of board. Uh, everything from a private business that may have a board of one person and so just really all, all the way through to a publicly listed board um, or an, a charitable organization that has very clearly defined legal obligations based on their regulation and the environment they uh, dictated by. And that can obviously change across borders well, as well as within states and territories, uh, it, wherever you happen to be. Um, the purpose of the board, the role of the board is always sort of evolving and it's it's always been in the past it's been a little bit one size fits all um boards have been by and large a little bit backward looking compliance uh rubber stamping past activity uh and in the 80s uh where you know corporate boards really sort of like came into their own a lot of people a lot of companies were um Borrowing from a model developed by a, a British guy called a governance expert called Robert Tricker, um, and his governance model, which looked to the multidimensional facets of a board in terms of the backward-looking side of things, the forward-looking side of things, the internal dynamics, and the external influences and in dynamics. I think the biggest change you're seeing in terms of the purpose of the board is it's becoming far more strategic than it is so forward-looking and having the input into strategy development so going back to the personnel bit you're seeing people coming in less from a financial and a legal background and more from a strategic background and I think that's the changing and shifting purpose of boards it's not universal yet but that's what you're seeing
0: I love that too I know I've sat on a couple of boards and one in particular was a charity it was a an early startup charity um and we just received our our um our uh, official you know, charity status, et cetera. And it was all about, we really needed people on the board to get their hands dirty, so to speak. It was what tasks can you take away? It's not just about coming to a board meeting. So I, I really that, that, um that new purpose, sense of purpose. So the third P on the list is perspective. Who does the board actually serve? Um, So we've moved into, I guess, um, stakeholder capitalism as opposed to shareholder capitalism. How has that worked? How has that developed for the Future Directors Institute?
1: Well, what you're seeing uh, for boards now is that combined with that sense of purpose is also that wider view of who are the most important people that we serve. It's still a battle, especially for corporate boards who are listed where their shareholders, the owners of the business, uh, superannuation funds, pension funds, philanthropic organizations, whatever it happens to be, self-managed super. um, And they still need to deliver a return. But what you're seeing with sort of stakeholder capitalism is looking at the needs and the impact of decisions that are made in the boardroom on other stakeholder groups like employees like customers, especially as customer loyalty, employee talent retention and attraction becomes even more important, health and well being of those people becomes paramount. You know, there's that social license to operate element to everything as well. So it's also the stakeholder group of society in general, and even more so, which is fantastic, the environmental impact of that business, that organization, and you're seeing that Uh, everywhere from the finances of these groups like the big banks through to energy companies, through to retail companies. They're starting to look and gain input and look at the impact of the decisions on a much wider group. Now, the world of the boardroom has always been complex, but the increasing complexity is that widened perspective. Now you're having to make decisions with an eye on everyone as opposed to really focused on shareholders. But the great thing is we're learning... And I think corporate leaders, every most leaders are learning that if you take care of the wider stakeholder group, the long-term financial returns actually come with that. And I think that's the shift in mentality is you look after that, everything else is taken care of, as opposed to look after the owners first, it will trickle down to everybody else. There's a lot more action that's required in this. You know, we've had statements at Davos and the CEO forum and there's a lot a lot of talk but we're needing and requiring activist shareholders and public sentiment and even government regulations to force a bit more change Um, as I said like governance has always been about trade-off decisions you can't avoid them you know not every decision is going to please everybody and benefit everybody in an equal way Um, so and one of the things I think within that perspective element has we've started to see is a change in the way that executives are incentivized to lessen the impact of say short-term financials and much more longer-term wealth and well-being which you know pre to 2020 was a little bit of a dirty word but now through 2020 well-being is like the thing that we need to be uh, talking about so look it's it's still very early days in terms of that perspective side of things there's a there's more talk than action and everybody's trying to juggle how how it operates if we take away from corporate land in a non-profit space obviously a a non-profit has no owners um so they've never really been the stakeholder but you know they still have that wider stakeholder view the donors the regulators the employees you know the impact of the work you're doing Um, i think non-profits have always had a bit more of a take on the whole wider stakeholder capitalism i think but again everybody's still evolving and growing and they're widening their gaze.
0: So very much what you're saying sounds like how boards operated around the
1: 1980s. Yeah, like, and I think that was a big transition period, right? So I think what we're talking about moving towards, you know, stakeholder capitalism over shareholder capitalism is we're actually going back to where we were pre sort of the advancements of Reaganomics and Master of the Universe, where it all became about shareholder returns, you had brokers coming in, and then it moved to high frequency trading. And it all became about short term, short term, short term, short term, and the share price. And I think we're actually reverting back, you know, back in the day, companies, because they were far more local, to a certain degree, had a big role to play in the community and society, they really did look after people, you know, by and large, it's changed over time. So we're, we're sort of almost like, Coming full circle, but we've added some great bits in, like the environment.
0: So we've actually learnt some things along the way, which is we hope so. That, yeah. <laughs> and, and that whole Davos manifesto at the World Economic Forum—I mean, how refreshing was that? And it's very much Branson's theory about keep your people happy; they'll keep your clients happy. Who will, you know, if you've got happy, happy staff and happy clients, how can your shareholders not be happy at the end of the day? Um, so the fourth P on the list is professionalism. What what is a professional board? What does that actually look like and what should it be looking like into the future? Because we have had some maybe not so professional, maybe not so ethical behaviors that have been exemplified by some boards um, over the over the years. What does professionalism look like?
1: This is this is a really tough one, right? There's a there's so much debate at the moment. You know, if you think about other professions, accounting, legal, there's some sort of body that you might belong to, you continually develop your learning, you have to go through certain things to become qualified. Really, to be a director, as long as you're old enough, you can only be disqualified um, rather than you have to qualify. So there's no qualifications for being a board director. Now, there are courses and learning courses and you know, all a whole bunch of different things around the world. And in some countries, you do have to do these courses to actually become a director. Um, For example, and this is a bit of obscure reference, in Pakistan, if you wanna become a company board director, you have to do a formal training course for board directors, but it can be from anywhere in the world and they have a list of them uh, that you have to do from around the world. But generally, as I said, you can be disqualified. Now, the problem is, okay, what if you overlaid this professionalism so that everybody has to train? that's great the problem is around the world there's tens of millions of board directors and I'm not just talking about big company board directors charitable organizations community groups schools the startup community fewer than one in 1000 of these directors has any form of recognizable training and the problem is that it's inaccessible either geographically or expense. from an expense point of view, it's really hard for everybody to get trained up. So this is the problem. I think the world would love to have more professional board directors who are constantly upskilling themselves and not thinking they're there to give back what they already have, but they're to do that and to grow. But it's really, really hard when it's really inaccessible or it's out of reach for a lot of people and also out of date. As well because a lot of these things are changing so quickly so i don't think there's an answer right now it's more the conversation needs to be is like how can i as an individual board director who wants to be effective how can what can i do to continue to become more professional in my standards and i think you mentioned the ethical side of things it's not just in my knowledge it's in my standards um And what can i do but you also need these companies and organizations to be investing in their boards you don't see a lot of money apportioned to the board for training and development by and large because they're either volunteers so they're not employees or they're not employees so it's like it's it's hard thing to gauge because there's this myth that your directors know exactly what they're doing you know you've sat on boards you know there's a whole bunch of blind spots people don't know what they don't know and is that once we acknowledge that we don't know everything and directors don't know everything, then maybe we can start actually evaluating what we do need, which I think is this increase in professionalism. But it needs to be managed because there are so many board directors out there. Um, you know, in Australia alone, there's 60, 70,000 registered charities. Uh, you know, there is 15,000 schools. All of them have a board. And these parents who might be joining a board, they're not going to get training unless the school develop it, but where's their money coming from? Mm. And even the corporate board directors may not get training because there might be a belief they know enough because they've been CEOs or investment bankers or on multiple boards. So it's a really interesting dynamic that we have right now as we're seeing more transparency, we're seeing more scandal, we're seeing, you know, the Royal Commission, everything that's coming out of those things, we're seeing that not all boards are perfect machines. They're broken things missing and i think that professionalism is part of it
0: i really love what you're saying there paul and it's almost like because there are courses that you can do but i agree a lot of the courses are outdated and then we don't want everyone acting like clones either so but but it's that um investment in your own board and how you want your own board to operate i think there there's some gold um in that and if there was training if it was like that I don't like the word micro credential that everybody's using at the moment but if there was that that credential um, and it meant that you listened to um, somebody who was very effective on a board speak or if you had um, a a guest speaker within your board who put a different perspective on things for example I think I think that would if you as um, as the future directors institute came up with some kind of education learning program I think that would be Uh, a a wonderful thing to be
1: able to share we're working on it we're trying to I think the thing for us one of our things is trying to democratize this you know as I said uh, around the world there are groups that have been for decades have been training board directors but you know and I don't shy away from calling what it is it's elitist Mm -hmm. Um, it's for the ones who can and have the beans or can get sponsored or the few that can get scholarships and it's extremely out of reach and you know i I was just want to share this story if you don't mind christina last year i was in i was with the malawi with a group called the hunger project um, on a, a learning program like it wasn't a we go there and help them we go there to learn from these people who have nothing and have have brought themselves out of poverty and hunger and you know we're talking we're talking with the the with the group of people who are governing a whole community of 15,000 people across multiple villages in rural Malawi. This is a board. This is a board of directors. It may, they're they're formal. They're formally put together. They have a constitution. They have no access to any training at all. It's all instinctive. And that only goes so far. Like, you know, some great board directors have fantastic common sense and it's instinctive, but there's always room for improvement. What we want to do is not just being... Like a, you know, modern contemporary training that's beyond governance, you know, to, and we'll talk about this in the fifth P in a sec, but it's, it's to the ones who already have it. It's bringing it to the ones who don't have it to see if they can improve the lives and the well-being and the outcomes for whoever they happily governing for.
0: I, yeah, I totally agree, and I also think um, there's a lot of the governance, the formal governance things in the board training that is available now, but that creative mm-hmm. aspect and how to think beyond and how to stretch um, what the organisation is doing, I, I would love um, to see more of that kind of education happening within, you know, that whole mindset um, that, mm. that you mentioned earlier, uh, being encompassed in some of that training. Um, so you did mention the fifth P, um, which is performance. Uh, and so performance as an individual within the board, hopefully as a collective board. Um, what's your theory? What's your what's your direction on that?
1: Well, I think um, this comes back to the diversity side of things and so the personnel in the room, right? So when you putting board together often it's been about the skills the knowledge um but the real great boards put boards together first based on a, a set of shared values or behaviors not because they're looking for homogenous thinking but they're looking to create a culture where all voices all views can be heard uh, it's a safe space right um so that's part of that collective performance um but also there's that individual performance, you know, there's all well and good turning up, turning up uh, in a virtual setting, um, turning up to your board meeting, turning up as a board director in all aspects of the role, because it's not just board meetings with the knowledge, but you're recruited for your brain and we're not training our brains. So the Future Directors Institute, we team up with a lot of neuroscience type work around how you can actually train your cognitive abilities um most of us are walking around stressed tired strung out sometimes distracted sometimes angry whatever it happens to be imagine you're bringing that into the boardroom your biases your what i call i call it your boardroom baggage you're bringing that all into the boardroom um and if you don't have the individual knowledge, but also the collective procedures to wipe as much of that away as possible, the decisions that get made in that group won't be high quality decisions. So imagine if everybody else, everybody's in the board meeting, they're all stressed, they're all tired, they're in a panic. And again, 2020, big deal for that. And no one knew how to elevate that cognitive ability, that cognitive performance at an individual and a collective level. You can make some really big decisions that could go horribly wrong because you just weren't at your best. There's this great work by a group we've talked we worked with before called Collective Mind, and um, they do a lot of biomechanical feedback, um, you know, so the, the wearable tech measuring brainwave patterns. And what they've discovered is, from a cognitive point of view, most of us are walking around in a state of mental performance where we wouldn't actually be allowed to drive if it was equated to drug al- uh, point, um, alcohol blood alcohol level right they're actually equated to two things together so that's absolutely frightening to think that people in the room who are not taking care of them, their well-being their mental well-being preparing themselves for this essentially couldn't drive a car but they could make billion dollar decisions so you know we spend a lot of time or no time at all training our bodies depending on who you are but we really need to train our minds but then as a decision making group we need to train and develop and have the culture to aid our performance and for me all performance has to be has to start with a very Uh, inward looking assessment of their strengths and weaknesses you have to measure it you have to assess yourself and I think that comes down to me the biggest thing that's missing from the boardrooms is the courage to be vulnerable and actually say hold on we're not sure we don't know we need to check
0: I I love that in in your opinion so I've, I've sat on boards where we've had the agenda and we go through the agenda and then by the time you get through the agenda it's almost like the meeting's over and there's no time for that creative um the creative concept about where you might take this organization if you could um there are people clearly on boards that that hog the time as with other meetings Um, how does how does a perfect board knowing perfect is a perception. So your perception of perfect and my perception of perfect may be slightly different um, and probably are and should be as they should be. But what what does an effective board look like to you? And because I'm sure that's the direction where the Future Directors um, Institute is gonna take this. But what is it like, if you could sum it up, what does it look like?
1: I think firstly, it's fit for purpose. And I think that's the thing. There's no one-size-fits-all, so there is no perfect board. But I, if I was really going to sum it up, and it's interesting, I've never contemplated this in this in the way you've asked it before. I would say it doesn't leave anything on the table. Everything get, you know. And I think I I know exactly what you mean when you're getting through very packed agendas, and you feel like you're just ticking off stuff. You're having discussions. You're delegating to management or are hearing from management or committees or whatever it happens to be and there's and you're holding out for the strategic retreat when you all get together virtue otherwise or in person to like think about the strategic direction of the organization but there's no time for creative thinking for there's just no time and I think an effective board creates the time and there's ways of doing that one is to make sure that directors in the boardroom are really prepared and that's the information that comes to them how it's presented to them and how their commitment is to make sure they're really prepared which goes back to that performance bit but also in the room the chair of the board is the person that leads the group and I think in this day and age especially as we go virtually the chair the mistake that boards make is that the chair is often the most senior person or the one with the most knowledge or experience. And I think for an effective group, you need the chair who's the best leader, the best facilitator, the best guide, knows how to get the best out of the room. Because often the person who's the most senior, you want them to be free of the chair duties and it comes down to sometimes ego. So I think the biggest thing for an effective board, and there we go, I think I've just struck on it, is every person leaves their ego at the door. And that is really hard to do because we are only human.
0: We, it's, um, we had a conversation around ego the other day, actually, you know, in, a, in a workshop. It's it's um, very apt that you mention it because I actually think we're moving into a society where we need to leave our ego at the door permanently or we need to have a, a, an ego burning fire pit and we all throw our egos in and we become, The, the I, you know, in, in that whole thing. I went to Greek school for a long time to be able to say with a Greek accent. Um, Paul, I absolutely um, am so grateful that you have come on and shared your knowledge and your wisdom. Uh, and I can't wait for Futures Directors Inst- or Future Directors Institute to be everywhere in every board for everybody. Um, how do people get in touch with you? How do they find out more about you? Website, we'll put in the, in the notes, things like that. Um, how do how do people connect with you? What what are the handles, social media, whatever it is? Um, how should people connect
1: yeah. with? Uh So basically, um, feel free if they want to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. Obviously, I have a very common name, so don't just Google Paul Smith. Uh, future Paul Smith is where I come up. Okay, so that extra word it makes all the difference. There's a there's a in my home world of the UK. There's a very famous fashion designer who likes to use stripes and he dominates Google, um, futuredirectors.com. Uh, if you're an aspiring board director, um, we have a book we, which is behind me here. Um, we have programs, one-on-one or group-based programs to help you accelerate your journey into the boardroom. Um, if you're an experienced director or developing, we also have ways in which you can engage with us in our community to get involved in these big conversations about where we're heading and why.
0: And um, I think we'll run a workshop uh, with you around, uh, we might invite some of the people that are on this webinar into potentially a workshop with you all, um, get them to, to sign their name somewhere um, and we can definitely put them in contact with you, potentially give them maybe a sheet of tips or hints or something like that, so that we really encourage this, um, this new vision of what a board should be and how a board can actually be, extremely effective, not just in, I loved what you said before, a lot of boards tend to look back um, and we really need them to be looking forward to, to have a voice in that future development. Thank you so much. Um, one last tip for any aspiring board member.
1: Um, no, to, to borrow a phrase and cannibalise it, no director is an island. And so, you know, the most important thing you can do is to surround yourself with people who can support you. Lean into mentors, develop a value proposition that people can really back you, you know, have a sense of purpose about why I want to be in the boardroom and what I'm going to do because it's all about service. It's all about service.
0: And that just triggered another thought. I was going to round everything off, but I've actually known people who um, have joined boards just because they want to be able to say, I've been on a board rather than, I was passionate about the charity whose board I was on or I was passionate about and I had a sense of purpose. It was all about getting that board, um, you know, perspective on a a CV. So I'm so hoping that we just move right away from that. But there comes, I guess that's part of that ego-driven perspective.
1: And don't get me wrong, there is nothing wrong with you gaining from being a board director, you're going to learn new skills, you're going to connect to people, you'll probably earn more money, whether it's a paid or unpaid, because you'll bring those skills back into your day job. Like, we work with people pretty exclusively who um, have their own company or day job rather than their professional board directors, because of the age range we look at. And you're you're right. It's one of the other things you again. And then another tip I've shared because you've sort of opened it for me. A lot of people will say, you know, cut your teeth on a not-for-profit board and then step up to a serious board. That may be true in terms of where you might end up, but if you think joining a not-for-profit board is a way to cut your teeth and prove yourself then your commitment i think is a little bit wrong now it's an it's a it's a numbers game there are way more voluntary board roles than there are paid board roles so it's chances are you're going to get a voluntary board role first and also if you have a day job they might have commercial conflicts of interest whatever it happens to be but don't ever think you have to start in a nonprofit world and then work your way up you know there are NGOs and nonprofits and charitables are the way more complicated than a lot of commercial or corporate organizations and they need super smart, capable, conscious um, and committed people, they go a whole bunch of C's there, because we were doing everything in letters. <laughs>
0: We are indeed <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time Paul. Uh, we look forward to I think we'll, it'll be great to catch up um in maybe six to six to twelve months time as well and see um, the developments that have cha- that have happened because as we know the time that we're living in right now things are accelerating changes is happening at a at a much faster rate than it's ever had before. so would' love to catch up with you again. Thank you so much for your time um, and all good wishes for um, taking. The board movement uh, and elevating it to a higher level of consciousness and connectivity and collaboration. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks, Christina. It's been really nice chatting to you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of Inspire for Five, the Singularity Australia podcast. We look forward to your company again on the next podcast. And in the meantime, we'd like to give a big shout out to our founding partner, Deloitte.